Hi, this is Cal Quantrill, and you're listening to the East Village Times Podcast. NL West, SD across the chest, youth movement, really dope ex-prospects, Big Willie, leader of the young pups, they hating on us, watching you them jump up, we ain't care, we ain't scared of nobody, the outfield, mad skills, lottie dotty. Austin Hedge is throwing out everybody, we at the ballpark, every game's a party, ignorance is bliss, so we never trip, if the pitching's up the pod, and watch out for the kids, EVT is out here broadcasting, EVT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EVT podcast. Padres EVT podcast. Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me, as always, on a Sunday afternoon, is Patrick Brewer. What's going on, Patrick? Uh, not much. A little tired. I was at Disneyland yesterday, so I'm uh, recovering a little bit here, but. Ready to oh, go. Man, man, you missed Fernando Tatis was there today. I saw that from his uh, Twitter feed. Oh, he was? Yeah. Nah, probably for the you better. I, I probably would have followed him around or something. Yeah, you would have been the guy who recognized him in, in, in Disneyland and, and stopped The him. only person that recognized him. That would have been me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, folks, we uh, are excited to have our guest on today. Uh, Baseball America just uh, dropped their top ten list last week. Uh, we planned on having Kyle in last week, but we had some technical issues and stuff. But Kyle Glazer is here with us today to talk uh, some Padre baseball. What's going on, Kyle? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty, pretty well. Uh, my uh, Arizona State Sun Devils just beat the Kansas Jayhawks in Fog Allen Fieldhouse, so I'm uh, I'm pretty hyped right now. Yeah, you're you're riding that high, that college basketball high right now, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, big win <laughs> for the Devils. I'm I'm all on board the Bobby Hurley bandwagon. Nice, nice. Well, I hate to to dampen your spirits, but us Padre fans are a little uh, little sad uh, these days with the Shohei Otani deciding to sign with the Los Angeles Angels. I guess um, us Padre fans are or should be used to disappointment, but you know, I, we were all cautiously, cautiously optimistic on our chances of of him signing. Um, give me your thoughts on the. Japanese Babe Ruth and and what his abilities will be in uh, the major leagues. You know, it's interesting. I wrote an article that came out on Friday morning, and he signed uh, a couple hours later, so the timing really worked out. Uh, there's really no question this is a guy who has all the components to be a, a true front-of-the-rotation pitcher, but what's interesting is he's not there yet. I talked to some uh, major leaguers who were in Japan and faced Otani over the past couple years, and they'll tell you that he has a, the potential to be better than Yu Darvish or Masahiro Tanaka, uh, what they've done in the States. But Tanaka and Darvish were both more refined, more consistent, better at the time they jumped over. Some of that's because those guys are older. You know, Otani's the guy who has the best pure stuff, fastball, forkball, slider, but he's not as consistent with it yet. He still struggles sometimes uh, keeping his stuff down in the zone. His command will leave him. There are times he'll walk three, four, five guys in a row. Uh, sequencing, you know, one of the things that came up in my discussions with a, a lot of the players, major league players over there, was that they felt like he would need to go to a team with a veteran catcher who was really, really strong receiving, and that catcher could help guide him through. Okay, here's how we're going to get through some of these big league orders. He wasn't a guy. Again, you know, Tanaka came over had a, a sub three ERA his first year. Darvish came over and had some immediate success as well. There was a sense that you know Shohei Otani should be competing for Cy Young's, but it won't be in year one. It'll be in year three and four of him being in the major leagues. 
So what do you think played in the decision to um, go to Los Angeles over any of the other suitors? I know you said, like, having a veteran catcher was something to consider, but do you think, like, Mike Trout played into it at all? Do you think it was just the right situation? I mean, I know he mentioned, a, he mentioned like, not wanting to play in a big city. Uh, you know, it's a combination of everything. I mean, it's a situation where he obviously got to meet face-to-face with representatives of seven different teams, and they were able to bring in different personnel. Uh, some of it's probably player contact. Some of it's comf- comfortability with the front office. I do think one thing that isn't talked about enough is Shohei Otani. People talk about him as a two-way player. He's a pitcher and a hitter. He's not a pitcher and an outfielder. And there's a very concrete difference. He has not played the outfield since 2014 in Japan, and there was only eight games. He really is a designated hitter only. That's his. That's his strength. Um, putting him in the outfield, you know, three days a week, then ask him to go pitch. You know, the outfield is just not a place he's particularly comfortable. He also is coming off a major ankle injury that people don't seem to be talking enough about. He had surgery in October. Uh, I do think that at the end of the day. Him and his representatives correctly assessed that his best path to major league success and being and matching, you know, the hype would be if he was pitching and designated hitting rather than pitching and going and try and playing the outfield for the first time in four years. Uh, and I mean, you know, with all the other complications of okay, do that, and then also try and adjust to big league pitching, and also try and become the best pitcher you can be, while also dealing with the hype and the fandom. I think that really was a strong consideration, and I- I'm not shocked he ended up signing with an American League team. I thought it would more likely be the Mariners, but the fact that it was an American League club he signed with should not come as a huge shock to anyone, and truthfully, is probably what's going to allow him to reach his fullest potential. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a t- it's a hard pill to swallow for for Padre fans, but you know, you get the sense from him that he wanted to do what was right, and he definitely wants to play both ways. And, and you know, he just wasn't going to get the, the opportunities with San Diego, and, and it'd be unfair. Well, I for think him he would have. I think he would have gotten the opportunities, but the you know having to do it while play the outfield. I think it was. Yeah, exactly. It was going to be a stretch. It was going to be a stretch. So well, the it's unfair. Would have been there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's unfair for him to put that daily strain on his, on his shoulder and, and arm, and then to have to go and, and pitch a couple of days later. And it, it seems he gets a, you get a sense from listening to him and talking to him about the game. He's very passionate about it, and he wants to put his best effort forward in succeeding in both aspects of the game. So, you know, he's going to do what he needs to do. So, it's uh, let's move on to some Padre current Padre rumors that are kind of driving Padre Twitter crazy right now, and that's the Eric Hosmer talk. Um, you know, you're a native San Diegan. You've followed this team for a long time. Uh, without either one of us commenting, I'd love to hear your comments uh, on possible uh, Eric Hosmer um, contract uh, signing with the Padres. You know, I'll say this. It's kind of interesting to me. I feel like there's a... Um an anti-Eric Hosmer crowd out there who just keeps banging the table. He's not that good. He's overrated, yada, yada, yada. He's a very good player. Um, you know, anyone who thinks that this guy doesn't bring any, you know, production or value to your team um, is, you know, incorrect, frankly. An above-average hitter over the course of his career, he's, you know, gotten better and better defensively. He's 27. It's not like he's, you know, 31, 32. So there's a lot to like with him. At the same time, you know, I understand some of the Potter's reasons for it. They prove, you know, with another big bat, they need a left-handed bat. They need a guy, you know, a bit of a veteran who can help guide some of these young players and be that clubhouse presence. All those things make sense. It's just the price point would be um, 
rather strange, you know, for the Potters to throw seven years, $150 million. And, and look, there's a long track record of signing first basemen for their age 28 to 35 season uh, for the most money they're ever going to make is pretty universally a bad idea. I mean, the salary curve goes directly opposite the production curve, and that's pretty well established. So I, I think from a standpoint of, of the Padres and their payroll and what their, you know, what their limitations are, it is a bit problematic to me. Um, I think, yeah, look, they could sign him, and he would be a great guy to have in the clubhouse. Definitely would give them some production and allow them to also cover up another hole, uh, left field, you know, move Will Myers out there. So there are some things that make sense about it. It's just the price point and the way first baseman age. It, it, I think it's something that ultimately at the end of the deal would hamstring the Padres. Where I kind of read into it is, Look, Peter Seidler has come out many, many times and said, 2019, we're going to contend. 2019, we're going to contend. 2019, we're going to contend. And realistically, the Potters are not going to contend in 2019 just with the in-house group of players they have. And so that's because a lot of them are young, and there is that year or two uh, adjustment period. You know, these are not guys who are going to all come up as, as rookies, you know, end of 2018, all of 2019, and immediately be ready to contend. I think it's a little bit of a reaction to that. The expectation is 2019 is not going to be a building year. That's going to be a you better be contending. And the Potters are going to need some outside help to do that, particularly uh, on offense. So do you think more the argument against it is more that that kind of contract's not right for that kind of player? Or do you think the Potters just shouldn't be in the business of making those big, big moves, at least to this point? You know, it's probably a little bit of both. Generally speaking, again, Giving any you know first baseman you know eight years seven years hundred fifty eight years one sixty for their age twenty eight to thirty five thirty six seasons does not work out well the back the back four or five years of that deal always end up looking really really bad and the Padres are not a team that have you know, look the Red Sox can make that deal and absorb the twenty five million dollars sunk cost at the end of the deal without a problem the Dodgers can do that the Yankees can do that. The Potters, it's a little more difficult. So they're going to have to find out. You know, look, if Eric Hosmer was available for, you know, five years at 110, then I think that's a deal that's worth making. If it starts getting to that seven year 150, eight year 160, somewhere in their range, it does get a little dicey. And ultimately, the Potters are going to make their decision. I don't think adding Eric Hosmer would be a bad thing, uh, just in terms of the makeup of this team and, and helping the, the team become a better team. But the amount of money involved would definitely potentially hamstring the franchise if they do go those, you know, extra long years. Yeah. I think, yeah, you pretty... I, I, oh, good. It's no, it's, it's, you make total sense. I mean, think, I think that's ultimately what the issue is, is, is investing that type of money long-term with this team. That's really not built to compete just yet. I mean, you know, and Scott Boris is his agent as well. You, you got to figure that he's going to get top dollar when it's said and done. He's going to get fair market value. If not, higher and uh the Padres just aren't prepared to offer that type of money I, w- I would imagine uh Patrick yeah I mean I-, I think Kyle pretty much summed up exactly what I think on the situation I mean it's not that Ka- it's not that like Hosmer's a bad player but I just think for the money that he's probably going to get at the position he plays it's just the Padres can't afford sunk cost and at the end of that deal it's definitely going to be a sunk cost um no matter how you really slice it I mean sure Hosmer can be very productive the first three or four years but I just don't see him going up from 32 on and if you have him under contract through 34 35 it's it's not going to end well um that kind of segues me nicely into another guy who apparently the potters are interested in that's zach cozart he's 32 
Um, it's looking like a cheaper deal. I mean, he's probably going to get somewhere in the three to four year range, I'd imagine, anywhere from like forty fifty million. Um, is is that a guy you think that would fit better for the Padres, Kyle, or is that another absolutely. move that wouldn't make no, sense? No, quite. no, it would absolutely be a better fit. Uh, first of all, just positionally, I mean, Zach shortstop has been a black hole for the Padres for a long time now, and you know, look, three years at you know forty some million for Zach Cozart, three years at fifty million for Zach Cozart probably ends up being better than seven years for 150 for, for Eric Hosmer. Um, you know, Cozart's a guy that will be your shortstop for at least, you know, this year into next. And then whenever Fernando Tatis is ready, you can say just depending on, you know, how much Cozart has slowed down and if Tatis has gotten bigger, okay, we can make Tatis our third baseman and Cozart our shortstop. Or if Cozart's really slowed down and Tatis has kept his live, live figure, you can say, all right, Cozart, go play third base and Fernando's shortstop's all yours. Even some flexibility with Luis Arias. He really, really improved as a shortstop toward the end of the year. I actually had a couple of evaluators throw plus on his defense at shortstop in the Arizona Fall League, which you were not hearing before. So I, I think Zach Cozart's a signing that there's enough flexibility there where it makes sense where even if he does sort of age out of being able to play shortstop, you have other guys who can move in. You can move him, again, to third, to potentially second base, and, and you have some wiggle room there. Um, and just again, the fact that it's a shorter deal, it's a less expensive deal, and I think probably fills a bigger hole on the Padres roster at this exact moment. That's a deal that that would make more sense. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Cosart makes a, a ton of more sense than than Eric Hosmer and the long term commitment that would take for sure. Uh, Fernando Tatis and Luis Arias are, are pretty close to being ready. Maybe not in the next uh, year or so, but they're getting close. So. Um, Speaking of Arias and Tatis, uh, both players are on the Baseball America Top 10 list. Uh, Tatis came in number one. Arias came in number six. Uh, let's talk about that list, uh, Kyle. Um, briefly, give us uh, some information on, on how the list is comprised. Uh, do you guys all sit down in a room together and, and discuss this? Or how do you guys come up with, with these top 10 lists? Yeah, no. So basically, we're each assigned organizations, and it's our job to you know dig into them throughout the year. So the Potters are mine, and it's really just me. I see a lot of their affiliates. I you know keep in close touch with scouts throughout you know the Midwest League, the California League, the Texas League, Pacific Coast League, all the way down to rookie ball, and keep tabs on guys how they're doing, what scouts are seeing, what they're thinking, and then. Has a lot of contacts with people inside the Padres front office, um, and so it's really a it's a year long process. Where, I mean, by the end of it, we're probably talking about a dozen to well, for the Padres, there's a little more. I mean, you're probably talking about twenty. 20 to 25, maybe even 30 different individuals over the course of the year. That's scouts, that's managers, that's coaches, that's Padres front office people, that's opposing front office people, really getting a sense for how these guys are progressing, what they're doing, and just how they're you know being evaluated by uh, people throughout the game. And we basically try and come up with you know what is essentially an industry consensus. Now there's always going to be some division on on a couple guys, but for the most part, really get the sense of okay, how is the rest of all of baseball seeing Padres one through ten, as well as just figuring out you know looking back at some statistical uh, historical analyses as well, what is the realistic chance these guys make the big leagues? Because people can talk about upside and potential all they want. At a certain point, if there's a realistic uh, aspect of, okay, are these guys, guys going to pitch in the majors? How often do guys that you know do this actually end up playing a day in the majors? Because at the end of the day, that's what top prospects are about. It's about who are the 10 guys or 15 guys or 20 guys 
most likely to a get to the majors and b have an impact once they're there and you kind of measure you kind of balance that out on a sliding scale so before we get too far into the top 10 i kind of wanted your thoughts on some of the guys that you had ranked maybe 11 through 15 a couple guys that just missed that top 10 if there's anyone you want to uh, mention or point out uh, you know, so, I mean, Jacob Nix uh, is a guy who the numbers haven't always been there, but he consistently shows people enough stuff that he was in consideration for the top 10. Eric Lauer, you know, I, I think there's not an argument for him over any of the guys in the 10, but he's pretty firmly in that 11 to 15 range. I mean, he, he's a perfectly fine prospect in his own right. Franchi Cordero is another guy who shows a lot of good stuff. And, again, there's not a huge argument for him. Uh, at least above 9, probably 10, it, it'd be a tough argument. Um, but, again, 11 to 15 firmly. You know, Esther Ruiz, you know, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, all the way down, and rookie ball really opened some eyes. Uh, he's a guy that's in that conversation as well. So, look, the 11 through 15 guys in the Padres system were our top 10 caliber prospects in a lot of other systems. Just with the depth and the quality of the Padres system, they couldn't quite crack it. Nice. Well, you know, let's get to Gabriel Arias, who finished number 10 on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think that opened a lot of people's eyes. He's had an extraordinary uh, couple weeks in uh, the Australian Baseball League. Uh, give me your evaluation of this young man at 17. The defense is just off the charts, but let's talk about what his uh, ability is with the bat because he seems to be blossoming in, in that regard. Yeah, so I began this process. Gabriel Arias was in that 11 to 15 range. I didn't have him in the top, you know, in the top 10. But the more and more people you know you speak with, whether it's scouts at the uh, opposing scouts in Arizona League or uh, instructional league couple of guys who got to look at him at the end of the year in Fort Wayne, uh, in-house people in the Padres system, it became really, really clear that there's a lot of people who think very, very highly of this kid. Got to remember he was 17 and a young 17. He was the age of a high school junior. And he went out and showed ridiculous defensive ability, you know, with his glove, with his arm. You know, he's young. He still makes mistakes. But uh, some of the ability he showed is, is you know, top-of-the-line defense um, that you can project down the road. And the other thing with him is the question was always about the bat, but consistently, since they signed him last year, and I I spoke to some people about how he looked in their academy, the bats come along a lot faster than people expected. Uh, They did that at the Padres uh, Dominican uh, Academy after he signed, came into spring training, and everyone's like, hey, this bat's developing. Did it in Arizona League, was able to go out and... uh, you know, performed okay. The, the numbers didn't always match up with the tools, but look, they had to rebuild his swing a little bit. They then had to kind of let him get into his own groove and find, you know, find a comfort zone. And he really started to, throughout the year, you saw it getting better and better. Then he goes up to the Midwest League. I mean, Fort Wayne, low A, playoffs, that's full season ball against college guys. Hit 364 in the playoffs as a 17-year-old, and now he's in the Australian Baseball League. And as of this podcast, hitting 260-310-519. We have a 17-year-old shortstop flooding yeah. 520 in a in a you know the Australian Baseball League's not by any means top tier off-season league, but he's playing against a lot of again 22, 23-year-old guys. This guy continues to show that the bat is coming along as fast fast as as you could have expected or really even faster when you take a guy with that defensive ability as well as rave reviews on the leadership uh you know when the Padres signed that big July 2nd group last year one of the things that was being talked about the most about Gabe Arias was he showed up and he was immediately the leader of that group not Morahone not Onya Mm -hmm. not 
mm-hmm. you know, Almanzar, Gabe Arias was the guy that was the leader of that group. Um, and you just put all that together. And if you're talking about a, an, a gold glove caliber defensive shortstop with a bat that just keeps getting better and better and better and is really starting to show something, keep in mind what he's accomplished at his age. It was pretty clear that this was a guy who had uh, the mix of upside and blooming performance that was, uh, you know, ultimately going to be elevated over, you know, that Jacob Nix, Eric Lauer group. And it was actually fairly consistent from evaluators uh, throughout the game and then in the Padres system. It was kind of funny. I, I saw a couple people were surprised about it, and I understand how it looks from the outside, but after months of conversations and, and talking about with scouts in the game, it actually was was not that overly difficult of a call to make. Man, I can always count on Kyle to, to make me happy about this system again. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, 9 and 8. That's uh, Logan Allen, Joey Lucchese, both ranked back-to-back. Uh, the first two of four lefties in the top 10. Um, what are your thoughts on those two and kind of the comparison between the two? I mean, it's easy to compare. They're both left-handers. Um, but I kind of wanted your thoughts on, on how those two fit in that list. Um, well, first of all, I, I want to say the top nine on this Padres list, you can debate the order a little bit if you want in a couple of the tiers, mm-hmm. but those are the top nine prospects, you know, case closed, bar none. It was it was a little bit funny to me how people were saying, Logan Allen, Joey Lucchese, what? As if they were expecting some of the other guys to be there. There's no argument against those guys from any evaluator in the game opposing uh, most of the evaluators inside the Potter's system as well. Um, those two guys really separated themselves, and a lot of teams have written them up as trade targets. The Padres aren't interested in moving them for good reason. So Logan Allen's a guy. Ultimately, we went Allen over Lucchese. Um, Allen's four years younger, throws harder, the change-up grades a half tick better. So... At the end, of, and, he, and he just misses so many bats. I think with Allen, you know, he missed a lot of 2016 with an elbow injury, came back this year, and, and really showed a lot of evaluators uh, some very, very promising things. Now, he wasn't always consistent. That was one of the inter- interesting things about Logan Allen. And, and if you read the scouting report I talked about a little bit, you know, you talk to five different scouts about Logan Allen, sometimes it almost seems like they're describing five different pitchers. It's, oh, wow, he was 93-94 with a power break average change up i was it was great and then the next evaluator and eh, it was an average average fastball really good breaking ball really good change up and the next day it's really good change up decent fastball breaking ball wasn't there so the consistency isn't always there but on a pure stuff basis he shows you flashes of you know a plus fastball for a left-hander a plus change up and an above-average curveball when he snaps it off. He's still working on the re- release point consistency. But when you take into account his age, you know, he went to the Cal League, you know, as a high-A guy, and, and his ERA, 3.97 is really just elevated by one bad outing. Um, you know, if you take away that one bad outing at the end of the season, it's less than a hit in inning, well over a strikeout in inning. I mean, the guy's really, really good. It's, it's premium left-handed stuff from a 20-year-old who's, you know, was delayed by an elbow injury and is still ahead of schedule. Speaking of injuries, let's talk about Anderson Espinosa, who made the list at uh, number seven, uh, still lingering around the top ten list. A lot of Padre fans are are wondering uh, what his ceiling will be, what ultimately what you think uh, once he returns from from injury, I guess it will be 2019 now. uh, What do you think about Anderson Espinosa's upside? 
I mean, the upside hasn't changed in the sense that this is a guy that, you know, you've seen it. You've seen the premium fastball. You've seen the devastating changeup. You've seen the improving slider. But we don't know what it's going to look like. And so right now you kind of just hold them steady. You know, um, you know, when you get your prospect handbook, you'll notice the grade hasn't changed on him from last year. But the risk, ha- well, the risk is the same because he was pretty risky last year, too. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that we the answer is you never know. Um, and it was interesting. I think you could argue if you wanted to put Joey Lucchese and Logan Allen above him, you could because, look, Joey Lucchese is going to pitch in the majors this year. And, again, the point of prospect rankings is who are the guys that are going to be in the majors and have the most impact when they're there. No one questions Joey Lucchese will be there and have any impact. Logan Allen, um, you know, he might not. It's not as guaranteed he'll get there because as promising as he is, he's a 20-year-old in A-ball. But both those guys will be, if everything goes according to plan, will be in the majors before Anderson Espinosa having an impact before Anderson Espinosa. So the fact that Espinosa is ranked ahead of them speaks to the upside. It's still mm-hmm. front of patient, you know, top of the line arm. I mean, I, I joked about it, but when you see him when he's at his best, it looks like if, you know, Felix Hernandez and Pedro Martinez made a baby. I mean, it's, it's incredible <laughs> stuff. Um, but you now have a guy who's going to miss two full seasons and even before that, durability was a question. You know, he pitched uh, 108 innings uh, in 2016, and a lot of a lot of evaluators noted he looked very tired by the end of it. And he's a smaller guy, so you have to be concerned. Um, you know, putting him at seven again just speaks to how good his upside still is. Because you know, if the upside wasn't prodigious, you could easily put Lucchese and Allen ahead of him. But I think that for now, just you know, let him rehab and. Hope he comes back. Uh, he's going to start a throwing program here in January. 2018 Instructional League is kind of the rough target date for uh, for them to uh, for them to get him back on the mound. So just kind of hope for no setbacks and see how it goes. But it's a long way off. All right, so next up we have uh, Luis Arias, who came in at six. Um, he's right below that group of four pitchers. Um, kind of what played into having him six and kind of why is he below any of those other pitchers? Yeah, so that was – so I, I want to break it down for you guys a little bit by tiers. Um, the first tier is Tatis and Gore, one, two. You know, no one questions it. Those are those are the guys mm-hmm. that belong there. Michelle Baez at three was also pretty clear. Um, again, that's a guy that had really shown himself to be, you know, premium stuff, big, physical, performed – um, you know, he's kind of in that second, you know, tier behind Goldtees. No one argued him above those two, but he's uh, he's clearly that next guy. And then that four, five, six, you know, Quantrill, Morahone, Arias are all in the same tier. And what I mean by that is you could legitimately argue it, you know, those three in any order, and I wouldn't fight you. You wouldn't be necessarily wrong. And talking to evaluators throughout the game, talking, you know, watching, seeing their performance looking at some things historically, you know, what statistical, visual, whatever. I mean, all these guys are, are premium, you know, top 50 caliber prospects in baseball. Um, ultimately, you know, there's a sense that Quantrill is going to be the guy who's, you know, this, you know, stud front to middle rotation starter. Morhone is an 18-year-old, went up to uh, the short season Northwest League after being delayed with a shoulder injury and held his own against college guys. 
And Uri has had a fantastic year, tailed off a little bit. The ankles of his, his uh, rolled ankle depressed some of his uh, his batting average uh, at the end, but came right back to the fall league. In the end, there was a sense that you know Quantrill and Morahone could be all star pitchers, um, while Arias, I think the general consensus is a first division everyday top of the lineup, uh, short uh, middle infielder, probably at second base they're not sure uh, just again the values throughout the game about it could he be a, a perennial all-star type or a frequent all-star type you know there's a little bit of hesitation there i think people see him more in the marco scudero martin prado range those guys you know made an all-star game had 15 consecutive you know 15 year careers with with a lot of hits or very good players um but not quite you know that guys who make all-star games you know fairly frequently like people think Quantrill and morahone might at the same time, I'm the high man on Urias, and, and I personally would have no problem with him being at four. Um, if you do that, you have to believe that he's, you know, a Placido Conco, which is my favorite comp on him, guy who made three all-star games, won a couple gold gloves, and top of the order for a first division team. But not everyone believes that, and so just going again with trying to reflect the consensus of the evaluators throughout the game, uh, which is kind of the ultimate tiebreaker there. Uh, that elevated Quantrill and Morahone above Arius, although if Arius has a better major league career than those two, no one should be shocked, and I, I certainly wouldn't be. Yeah. No, I, I think Polanco is, is a great comp for him, and Polanco was a, was a tough out. I mean, right-handed contact hitter who sprayed the ball around the field, so that's that's an excellent comp. Uh, we have Arius at six. Uh, we already went through Morahone at five, uh, Quantrill at four. Um, let's jump into Michelle Baez at number three. Uh, someone who basically came out of nowhere last season. Well, I mean, I don't want to say nowhere. A lot of people were already on him and unaware of his ability. But, uh, you know, an older prospect at 21 uh, coming into to professional baseball, uh, the velocity is there. Uh, let's talk about his off-speed stuff because I've heard con- contradicting reports about his slider and his changeup. Um, I've witnessed both uh, in person and, and uh, through, you know, watching videos of him. Uh, he seems to have a pretty good grasp of both pitches. Uh, give me your thoughts on his secondary, and um, let's talk about a ceiling for Michelle Baez. So you, you mentioned contrad- or contradicting reports on the secondaries, and that's just a, a function of consistency. There are mm-hmm. times that his slider and changeup, uh, slide, you know, both plus pitches, above average to plus. Uh, I think slider typically gets more above average grades, uh, while the, the changeup gets more plus grades at their best. Uh, but again, you know, a big part of being successful in Major League Baseball is not just having those pitches. It's being able to throw them consistently 20, 30 times a game and, and not leaving one hanging. Because if you do, it's going to go a long way. Um, and that's the big thing for him, just continuing to work. You know, you mentioned he was, you know, not a, a come out of nowhere guy. But he was a late signing. The Padres signed all these guys July 2nd. They didn't sign him until December 16th. That's why he wasn't in the prospect handbook last year. He wasn't signed until after our transaction deadline. So okay. it was, you know, just kind of fairly quick. They got him up, got him to extend it, had a little bit of an injury there, uh, trapezius, and then went out and just dominated. Um, low A is, is a pretty poor level of competition, so it's always wise to be wary of, of big numbers there. But you watch him and what he did and the way he performed. Uh, it was eye-opening. Uh, you talk about ceiling. I mean, if he just keeps, you know, pitching with his fastball downhill and that really sharpens that changeup and slider on a normal development curve, you know, into next year, 
I mean, three plus pitches. And by the way, he started showing a, a ridiculous eleven to five curveball that was getting uh, just some <laughs> nasty, nasty breaks on, on it toward the end there. I mean, you're talking three plus pitches with you know plus control and above average command. That's a, that's a number one starter. And you know, when you get your prospect handbook, you'll see we we have a pretty lofty grade on him. Um, he's a guy that could absolutely. It, it would not shock anybody if in a few years. You know, before Mackenzie Gore is ready, or if Mackenzie Gore, for all his promise, gets hurt, because hey, high school pitchers, it's a very iffy track record. You know, if Michelle Bias is the number one pitcher in the Padres rotation for a decade or more, uh, a few years from now, as long as he does what he's supposed to or should do developmentally, he has that in him. And and if he is, the Padres will be you know in great shape. It won't be like he's number one because there's no one else there. He's number one because he's a true you know potential number one number two top flight pitcher but again you know uh, next year will be very very telling see how those off speeds develop see how he does in the california league and and then eventually you know presumably double a that'll be a lot more telling uh than what we have now but what we have now is is pretty impressive so let's uh talk about the top two we got uh mckenzie gore at two tatis at number one um, I guess my question is, do the Potters have a pitcher and hitter to build around? I mean, is this kind of their, I don't, I don't want to say Clayton Kershaw, Corey Seager kind of thing, but are those those two guys that they can build around for years to come? That's the plan. I think these are the two guys you look at and say, you know, as as much as I just wax poetic about Michelle Baez and his ability, um, <laughs> you know, Tatis and Gore are the guys that you look at and say, are these franchise caliber players? And the Padres certainly believe so. A lot of teams around the game also believe so. And if, you know, again, there's always things that could go wrong. As, as amazing as Fernando Tatis is, he, uh, you know, has not a whole lot of experience above low A. As promising as Mackenzie Gore is, he has 24 innings in rookie ball to his name. So there's still not maybe the security uh, in their dominance that some other teams would love to have. You know, when Corey Seager was you know a top you know the number one prospect well he had mashed in triple a and made an mlb cameo and was in the uh was in the playoffs for the dodgers so there's a little more security there but uh talent wise if these guys stay healthy and they keep making the adjustments that they are capable of making that they've shown themselves are capable of making then yes the potters have uh again in the prospect handbook you'll see uh this is probably their top pitcher hitter combination they've had in their system since late 80s when it was uh andy bennis and uh sandy alamar i mean wow. these are these are this is probably the best one-two punch position player pitcher at the top they've had in 30 years and yeah, again yeah. you know nothing's guaranteed but yeah. talent wise that these are two guys uh the padres believe they can build around and, and rightfully so yeah and ironically the late 80s was the last time that this team really embraced the international market I and mean, we're talking about carlos Baerga and uh, roberto alomar players like that joey cora so yeah, i'm glad that they finally circled back and, and embraced that market it's been a long time coming for sure um let's talk about someone i, I know relievers don't typically make uh these top lists but uh andres munoz is someone who's definitely worth mentioning uh, at 18 years old uh in the afl he kind of caught everyone's attention uh throwing 102 mile per hour bbs by uh by pretty legitimate prospects uh give me your thoughts on on andres munoz uh i know he's still very young uh hasn't really made it into the upper upper echelon of the minor leagues but give me your thought process on, on the young reliever 
is making tremendous strides. I think the biggest thing with him is as much as he's always been a hard thrower, you know, we, we had, we heard his name last year as a guy, Hey, this is 17 year old and Peoria throwing 99. Um, mm-hmm. he also walked 7.3 per nine, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. this season, his, his breakout year, first year, you know, he walked uh 6.1 per nine at tri city and 7.7 per nine at a little, little stint in Fort Wayne. So, He's got an incredible arm, and you saw the control look really, really good in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, really, really looked like he made those strides. So uh, he's a guy that the Padres are not going to hold back. They're going to move him as fast as he shows them uh, he's ready to go. He's going to be a reliever. That's that's what he is, but it's a potential closer. But it's got to be a case where he shows he can you know throw strikes consistently. Um, again, the Arizona Fall League he did. It was also over nine games. Okay, now do it over twenty nine games, thirty nine games, and that's going to be the most interesting thing to watch next year is when he goes up to Fort Wayne, presumably to start, and probably ends up in Elsinore at some point. Is he able to string together you know not just two or three good outings, but a month of good outings, two months of good outings? The stuff is there. He's made some adjustments uh, in terms of making sure he stays on line to the plate. And, you know, before he would kind of pull off a little bit, and, and his fastball would hit the dirt. Now he's able to stay on line a little bit better. If he can keep that up, this guy can fly through the system and, and be pitching in the majors. You know, uh, Roberto Asuna, the Blue Jays' young closer, also from Mexico, uh, he was pitching in the majors at 20 years old with big stuff. I think that's mm-hmm. something that could definitely happen for Andres Munoz. But uh, control and showing he can, you know throw strikes again not just over a nine game sample size but that 29 game sample size will will be key for him and the big thing to watch this coming year for sure uh let's stick on on relievers and i have a quick question for you about uh, trey winchenter uh yep had a successful year in san antonio as a closer um you think he's a bullpen option for the padres in 2018 eventually maybe you know absolutely okay absolutely you know it's, it's kind of funny uh Fans got very, very excited about Andres Munoz, rightfully. A lot of people in baseball will tell you that he's not the Padres' best bullpen prospect. They'll tell you Trey Wingenter is. Yes. Even last year, his name was coming up. You know, he's throwing 96-98, topping 100 at a a 6-8 frame, a 6-7 frame, downhill, late explosiveness. Really, really started to figure out his slider this year as well. Throws strikes, especially for a big man. I mean, this guy... You know, it was interesting, actually. There were a couple individuals who felt that he was a better pitcher at the end of last season than a couple of the guys the Padres had in their bullpen. I think there's no question hmm. this is a guy that will see up. Uh, I would not be surprised if he's, you know, starts the year in AAA and then he's up in the majors in May. Uh, this is a guy who's going to be a big part of the Padres' bullpen for years to come and is an excellent relief prospect. I mean, there's, we'll see him as an eighth inning guy, but. There's been a couple who say it's closer stuff. It's 96 to 98, touch 100 with a slider. Yeah, that that's closer stuff. So that's going to be something he's going to have to audition for and you know see how he handles the pressure of the role if they give him that opportunity. But for now, yeah, hold me up, you know, pitching some important innings. And I think with him and Phil Maton and, and Jose Torres, you, you start to see the makings of the next uh, Padres bullpen kind of come into focus this year in the major leagues for sure. Nice. It's it's wonderful to hear the, the progression in the system and hear that these waves of talents are actually on their way and aren't progressing. You know, for the majority of the Padres system, they've all made progression. It's, it's a great thing. Um, last thing I want to talk to you about is the Rule 5 draft is coming up on Thursday. 
any particular names that we should be taking a uh, lookout for or be on the lookout for? I know AJ Preller is definitely uh, one who <laughs> likes to partake in the Rule 5 draft, being that we have five uh, former Padres or former draft <laughs> alum on the uh, current roster. Uh, anybody in particular that's caught your eye? Well, uh, if I'm correct, the Potter's 40-man roster is currently full, so they couldn't take anyone even if they wanted to. I need to double-check that, but that was – to my, I believe it is. Okay. It, it, so so it, 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 are they allowed to DFA someone beforehand? Yeah, or how, yeah they, okay. can, they, can, they, can, they can make a move. Um, okay. I think right well, now, I mean, though – oh, go ahead. You know, Patrick and I have discussed that they definitely have options. I mean, Ryan Schimpf is still on the roster currently uh, with – I mean, there's no way in hell he's going to play on this team with the amount of second baseman and third baseman they have. So, I mean, A.J. Preller's a, a tricky kind of guy. I, I would expect them to DFA someone in the next couple of days and, and at least pick up a player. But I'm, I'm just wondering what you think uh, or talent-wise is out there. Yeah, so there's some interesting arms. I, I think you look at, at former Padres uh, prospect, Burt Smith, actually, is a, a pretty uh, interesting candidate. Uh, a guy named Matt McCullough is a hard reliever from the Diamondback system. I actually would not be surprised uh, if you see the Padres sit this one out. I think the most interesting thing from the Padres' perspective actually is going to see who they lose. And Fran Mel Reyes is the guy that uh, is going to be interesting to watch there. Um, he was a guy that... I know there were some very serious discussions uh, internally. The Padres were very seriously considering adding him to the 40-man roster. At least that was relayed to me. Uh, he's got, when you talk to people about who's the best power prospect in the system, the names Josh Naylor and Jorge Onya don't come up. Fred Reyes comes up. He's the guy with the raw power those two guys do, and he's been getting to it. He led the system in home runs this year in AA. Uh, you know, he probably would have been a 40-man selection if he didn't have wrist surgery here uh, in the fall league. So he's going to be a guy that if, if he ends up getting taken by another team, that's a loss. I think the Padres internally will definitely kind of, you know, be a little, if he gets kept on, I think that would be a win for the Padres. But in terms of um, as they're looking at adding, you know, they could add a bullpen arm that there's not really any, uh, you know, this isn't a year we're going to see them go add three or four guys. The Padres feel like they've built, talent into their system that they don't have to do that which they didn't they didn't feel like they had you know last and the year before yeah no i, I will definitely be bummed if they lose friend mil reyes he's definitely a, a worthy prospect uh kyle thank you so much for joining us uh i appreciate the time we definitely appreciate you taking time on a sunday afternoon to talk to us uh about some padre baseball uh anything in particular you'd like to discuss before we head on out of here no, just uh, keep uh, keep it uh, here at the winter meetings. Uh, I'll be down there along with uh, JJ Cooper and Ben Bowler and Josh Norris and Colazzo. So, yeah, go ahead and give us a follow on social media. We'll have all the winter meeting stuff, whether it's uh, signings or just general rumors and, and fun uh, fun ahead. Definitely, we love Baseball America, and we definitely support uh, the content that you guys provide. It's it's invaluable for for all of us uh, baseball junkies. Uh, thank you so much again, Kyle. Uh, Patrick is there somewhere. I'm sure he wants to say thank you as well. Yeah, I'm here. Um, for those who don't know, <laughs> Kyle's on Twitter at Kyle A. Glazer, so definitely give him a follow. Always good content. And uh, we appreciate you coming on here, Kyle. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Take care, Kyle. Thank you so much. Well, folks, as my neighbor's car alarm continues to go off, uh, <laughs> it was a fantastic show. I mean, you know, 
speaking to Kyle, I think this is his fifth time on our show. Um, we've, you know, over the time, over the shows, heard about the progression of the system, and it's it's just it's it's always nice to to hear about the Padres system, especially since the major league team is full of disappointment. Yeah, I mean, we always bring on Kyle when we're feeling down because he always cheers us up. You know, he always has nice things to say. And, uh, yeah, he's always there for so, us in that way. <laughs> so our, we're presently on a high note right now in, in talking to the farm system. Uh, the plan was for Patrick and I to talk about some Otani and Hosmer talk. Uh, do we want to go down that route, Patrick, or are we um, just going to wrap it? I think we'll I think we'll save that for tomorrow. Okay, I think I think that's a good move. Uh, we want to end on a positive note because tomorrow's show in regards to Otani and Hosmer is going to be. Uh, pretty miserable yeah so the winter meetings are kicking off uh i mean they kick off today but the wheeling and dealing doesn't really get started until tomorrow so uh we'll be uh back then and we'll hopefully have maybe some news to talk about who knows definitely uh thank you folks for joining us i am gonna go outside and kill my neighbor for his car alarm uh right now <laughs> uh patrick patrick go ahead and, and send us out uh uh, we are uh, we are the East Village Times podcast. You can find us on Twitter uh, at EBT Podcast. Uh, James is EBT underscore News, EBT underscore J Clark. I am Patrick Brune eighty three. Our podcast is hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Stitcher, uh, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, really wherever you get your podcast, you can find us there. Uh, we are the East Village Times podcast, and we are signing out. EBT is out here broadcasting. EBT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EBT podcast. Padres EBT podcast.